Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. I am Ben. You are you. And hopefully this message finds you amid grand adventure. If not, too bad. If so, wonderful. Either way, this is stuff they don't want you to know. Surely adventure is on the horizon. Yes, adventure uh, should always be on the horizon. We live in what... Uh, some uh, ancient scholars would call interesting times, which is not necessarily a compliment. Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, on this show, we look into things that are not uh, not so often reported in mainstream media. We look at uh, obscure acts of history, strange things about the future, the occult, the paranormal, the corrupt. And this means that we travel through some dark places Today, we are returning to a dark place. This is something that may be a bit controversial. We are going to cover it to the best of our ability in the most objective way possible. And we want to hear from you. So as we dive into this rabbit hole, as you're listening, if you have the opportunity and if you have some feedback, we'd like to hear it. You can write to us directly on Facebook and Twitter where we are Conspiracy Stuff. So, with that being said, that's the best I could do for disclaimer, gents. What do you think? That's right. This week we are talking about terrorism, in particular a group known as the Islamic State or ISIS or ISIL. Or, or Daesh. Yes. There are, there are numerous other names as well. Uh, it's a group that, especially here in the West... I mean, I don't know. You could argue that they are like the face of terrorism. I mean, that is currently, like the... Right. You know... Yes, the the new face, mm. the 
as of 2014 face? The face that most uh, people in the West would associate with terrorism, right? That mm-hmm. when peace people hear the word terrorism, their first thoughts will not be something like uh, the Klan, the KKK. It won't mm-hmm. be something like the IRA. It won't even maybe be Al-Qaeda anymore. It will Which is be, saying a lot. It's just saying a lot. It will be ISIS. And what we are going to look at today is uh, is the concept of specifically ISIS or ISIL or Daesh uh, recruitment tactics mm-hmm. in the U.S. We've gone into some uh, related things before, but today we're going to look at this specific example. And as we do that, we need to first take a look at terrorism, right? What is terrorism? Since the events of September 11th, 2001, the concept of terrorism garnered national and lasting attention in the mind of the American public. But we know, of course, just look at some of the the other groups we named. We know that terrorism as a concept, uh, terroristic tactics and such have existed much, much longer, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, even in the U.S., I think terrorism was in the in the zeitgeist, in the public mm-hmm. knowledge or understanding uh, back from the 70s. Back, I mean, if you look at popular movies that were coming out around that mm-hmm. time, the bad guy a lot of times was a Middle Eastern, quote, terrorist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's often been said throughout history that one person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter. We know that can sound tremendously controversial, right? The idea that one person's absolute utter villain is somebody else's hero, right? Uh, you know, for instance, when the U.S. was in the midst of w- the Revolutionary War, the people in the U.S. who were fighting to, uh, fighting for independence mm-hmm. from, uh, from Europe, from England, they were to the average English citizen terrorist. Oh yeah. You know? The tactics of fighting from the woods or something. Guerrilla warfare. Hidden, yeah. yeah. Not wearing uniforms, all mm-hmm. these kind of things uh, that we're going to get into. They were full on terrorists to them. And it's true that to a degree, the categorization of terrorist, if you can hear my air quotes there, folks, depends on the people you ask. Like, for example, this is just an anecdote. I'm just making this up. This is not a real thing. I can't emphasize that enough, but I tried. Uh, for instance, a let's imagine there is a person living in a war-torn country that's been victimized by numerous conflicts, right? Let's say Afghanistan, right? Mm-hmm. Someone who has been alive through the uh, proxy wars of the 70s, who has uh, lived through the 80s, the 90s, and is alive now in Afghanistan. A person living in that kind of country has probably seen multiple foreign military forces, multiple local warlords come and go, terrorist organizations, counterterrorism tactics. And eventually you might say, well, these are all, to me, these are all still threats. Mm-hmm. These are all still equal threats. So this definition slides. This definition has fuzzy lines. There's not really, um, you, you would be hard pressed to find a, an organization that the entire rest of the world said that is a terrorist organization. When I say entire rest of the world, of course, I'm not so- talking about, uh, the United Nations labeling an organization as terrorist. I'm saying, uh, the entire population of actual people. Uh, ISIS is one of the closest. Of course, because, you know, um, Muslims around the world condemn the actions of ISIS and ISIS is the, the actions that ISIS is taking are not those that are, are, are not things that the average practicing Muslim or the, the vast majority yes. of Muslims would ever condone. It's also the kind of thing where, you know, in your original example about freedom fighters um, in, like, the American Revolution, for example, um, they were working towards an end of achieving freedom, and they were maybe, like, attacking certain, you know, points that would have benefited them as a group. But with ISIS, it is a lot more 
directly targeted attacks at civilians and, you know, really waging that kind of social media uh, war using, you know, beheading videos and things like that that are just showing this kind of lack of rules of engagement. You know, it's just kind right. of like anything is fair game. And also, yeah, the ultimate aim of ISIS is has been stated numerous times, and it is to establish a new caliphate, yes. right? Uh, and this means that the, the goal would be to create a state and to expand that state eventually across the world. You know, we've even seen Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda, mm-hmm. uh, like, disavow or condemn the actions of ISIS, which, you know, Al-Qaeda, another terrorist group, the mm-hmm. terrorist group for a while there. Mm-hmm. They've, they publicly, at least allegedly, came out and said, no, this, we, we, we think this is awful. Mm-hmm. And there's, yeah, and there's a tangled web here. There are tangled roots and there's a tangled web. Even if the outward definition might sound fuzzy, terrorists have several tactics that in theory differentiate them from state level forces. So, in the books, again, in theory, a state-level force has rules of engagement. As you said, Noel, they do not attack civilians. They are clearly identifiable via uniforms. Mm-hmm. They adhere to the Geneva Conventions for captured combatants. They adhere to the rules of war. Uh, and, of course, folks, unfortunately, it goes without saying, but I will say it, throughout history, would be very hard pressed to find any state level military that has always adhered to those rules. For sure. And that goes to something else, which might be a, a separate topic that we've touched upon with specific examples in earlier podcasts of state sponsored terrorism, CIA backed coups in South America, for mm-hmm. instance, right? Or, uh, false flag attacks or, for instance, the, um, the the proxy militias used by different countries, right? Like um, Hezbollah, sponsored by Iran or something. No, which is Hadin. Exactly. Sadly, the the reality of proxy wars has been long established. The reality of using proxies to avoid uh, to avoid the consequences of an unsuccessful action, and the concept of terrorism as itself. Uh, first appears in 1795, at least in the specific sense of government intimidation during the uh, reign of terror in France. And it came from the French uh, terrorisme, uh, from the Latin. In English, it appears a few years later, three years later, in reference to the Irish rebellion. But along the way to the modern age, there were other competing terms. Mass destruction terrorism was called dynamitism, and during World War I, uh, Britain used the term frightfulness, which came from German, and it meant a deliberate policy of terrorizing enemy non-combatants. Before we go on, guys, I want to get a bit of a rant out of the way. Okay. And this is, as I have to say, whenever we say this, this is my opinion. Okay, this is not, this does not reflect the opinion of our show, the opinion of House of Works, anyone else but me. I think another thing that's dangerous about terrorism as a concept, especially in the West and in other countries as well, is that it has become a grand boogeyman used to force multiple attacks on people's personal freedom and personal liberty. Uh, and you, if you agree, if you disagree, for instance, with warrantless surveillance, then the implication is that you directly support terrorism. Terrorism has become the, uh, the monster under the bed, hiding in the closet of the American discourse. And this is a very dangerous thing. In, in U.S. culture, what we see often is that people, uh, the, the zeitgeist, as you said, Matt, mm-hmm. uh, becomes enamored of certain words. Remember in the nineties, everything was digital. Then for like, even things yeah. like, like a digital toaster makes no sense. And then it doesn't even have a digital clock on it. And then things were organic, right? And then national security has become another, another great boogeyman. Right. Yeah, I, I was trying to decide if they're thought terminating cliches, but I don't know that they're that far. It's close almost because you can throw those words into a sentence and kind of 
Yeah, maybe it is because you can kind of shut somebody's brain off mm-hmm. if 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 you throw around, especially terrorism and national security in the same sentence. Right. These. This is not in any way to say that uh, terrorism is exaggerated in terms of the global context and the damage it does. This is instead to say that there are opportunistic forces in governments across the world who are using this as. Uh, as a window, as a foot in the door to pass draconian laws that ordinarily never would have been allowed by a rational, non-frightened public. And, and it, so it is true that these things, these things are real. There are these active, I'll say it, act like monsters, people doing monstrous things. And then we can never forget, however, that the people at the top of various uh, regimes and governments and whatnot are actively using this as a way to get your private information, to get your phone records, to predict, predict, excuse me, your behavior. With all that being said, I'm going to get off the soapbox here because that is not the real point of today's podcast. We're, we're or is it the biggest point? I, I don't know. I think it I might be. What do you think, though? I think they're sort of connected for sure. But let's get into what really, what is ISIS? What is ISIS and what is ISIS versus ISIL in terms of the name? Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. So ISIS and ISIL, oddly enough, the same thing. ISIS stands for the Islamic State in Iraq and Syria. And that's because the territory that this this organization has controlled, has uh, largely straddled the border between Syria and Iraq. But ISIL, on the other hand. Yeah, ISIL, ISIL is talking about the Levant, which is the, it's kind of a, an historic name given to this entire region uh, that's east of the Mediterranean from Egypt. So think about where Egypt is on the edge of Africa there. Go east. And once you get to Iran and Turkey, that's the Levant. Wasn't there a thing, though, where Obama referred to them specifically as one or the other because one legitimizes them more than the other? Like, does that ring a bell to you guys? Uh, I, I think, yeah, the U.S. Uh, the U.S. administration during the rise of ISIS used the term ISIL because their their official party line mm-hmm. is that the, this is done to emphasize the expansionist goals of the of the terrorist group. Quite a region, yeah. That right. makes sense. Uh, however... Again, if that were the case, establishing what is ultimately meant to be a global caliphate would necessarily extend beyond the Levant. But right now, you know, the chances of that happening are thankfully infinitesimally small. Uh, the pretty much everyone else, though, uses ISIS mm-hmm. or one other thing. Yeah, this term, the Daesh, uh, has also gained some popularity and has been used as a way of challenging the legitimacy of the group. Right. This Daesh term comes from uh, Arabic, and it's an acronym formed from the group's previous name, which is, I'm going to butcher this, I, I warn you in advance, folks, Al-Dalwa Al-Islamia Fil-Iraq Wa Al-Sham. And though it doesn't necessarily mean anything in Arabic, it sounds familiar to an Arabic verb that means to tread underfoot, to crush something or to trample. So that is the, that's, that's the solution of the name. At this point, folks are probably wondering, Hey, Matt, Noel, Ben, are you going to talk a little bit about the history of ISIS, the formation of it? How did it become so successful? What, if any, role did intelligence agencies and other state organizations play, right? Shout out to the House of Saud, as always. Mm-hmm. We've done a couple of earlier videos on ISIS that you uh, that you may enjoy if you're, well, enjoy is not the right word, that may answer some of those questions. Mm-hmm. And one of the uh, one of the first ones was, how did ISIS become so wealthy, which was a collaboration we had with our friends at All Time Conspiracies. Yes, and that one we, I mean, kind of obviously from the title, we look at the different ways in which ISIS got its money. And one of the big things that was pointed to as to how they got that first, that first big bankroll 
to begin, you know, building an army and getting just huge caches of weapons and explosives. Uh, and it was the, I believe it was the Mosul Bank. There was mm-hmm. a heist that allegedly occurred. Mm-hmm. Now, from differing sources, you'll also hear that that heist never occurred, uh, actually from some official sources, which right. is fascinating. Yeah, um, they, they allegedly looted 500 billion Iraqi dinars, the equivalent of, uh, 429 million at the time. But, but it's, or it, did they? Yeah, exactly. Or did they? And that kind of called into question, well, how are they getting their money if this perhaps didn't occur? Which has led to numerous questions about who funds this group. And we try to answer a couple of those in that video. Hmm. I think we also talked about, uh, there's one called who, who does ISIS work for? Mm-hmm. Looking at perhaps there are larger goals that ISIS is, you know, trying to achieve or that another group is trying to achieve through ISIS. Right. That was an interesting delve. I would recommend that video. Mm-hmm. The uh, there's a there's another part here uh, where we also talk about uh, in our third video, money, blood and God who funds terrorism, which is a, a juicy title. It's but, a juicy title, and there's some juicy stuff in there. Mm, yeah, unpleasant stuff as well. Yeah, when when I learned about some of the funding that comes from countries that are close allies with the United States, right. specifically Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. that just kind of freaked me out a little bit. And and to be to be clear, one thing that I would like to I would like to emphasize when we talk about intelligence agencies or when we talk about government officials funding the the um funding the operations of terrorist groups whether in the middle east whether in central asia southeast asia uh south and central america uh, or even the us this doesn't always mean that the entire organization condones it it could just be one person acting or a faction of people acting in in that regard so let's do a little bit of history of ISIS to get to their current state. And this is from uh, our earlier video that we had mentioned. So in 2014, that's when we really see the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, better known as ISIS, spread across the Middle East. But according to the official sources, it begins in the 90s when a Jordanian named Abu Musab al-Zarqawi returned home from attempting to fight the USSR in Afghanistan. And that was right after he got out of prison. He, right. he was in prison for a while, mm-hmm. uh, I think, that, and that was after, yeah, you said Afghanistan, right? He was mm-hmm. going to fight the USSR and join that fight. But I think when he got there, it was pretty much over. Uh, mm-hmm. And when he got home, I guess he had kind of picked up some ideas from from people that he was hanging out with. And mm-hmm. he, I think he had weapons and explosives in his house, and he got arrested for six years, and he met more people. Right, yeah, and eventually he returned uh, to set up a camp for terrorists or, again, depending on which side of the war you were on, resistance fighters. In 1999, he met OBL Osama bin Laden, but he refused to join al-Qaeda. In 2001, he fled Iraq, and then he eventually constructed the predecessor to the Islamic State. Al-Zarqawi died in 2006. And, uh, as of 2014, uh, it was the organization known as ISIS was led by Abu Bakir al-Baghdadi, uh, who declared himself caliph or, uh, the caliph or ruler of the self-declared Islamic state. So this story, this official story seems plausible. History is full of groups that become increasingly violent as they become increasingly powerful. But there are no shortage of conspiracy theories regarding ISIS. Right now, in the current state of ISIS, the, the, the conflict continues. There's pretty compelling evidence that ISIS has been selling oil to uh, people in Turkey with knowledge of the Turkish government. There's also been some pretty um, damning evidence that different factions of other Middle Eastern countries are supporting the spread of ISIS, even while officially opposing it. And of course, uh, groups that were, uh, that were and are still considered terrorists by other countries are not friendly toward ISIS. And this has mm-hmm. become a land of strange bedfellows, you know, with the, the current proxy war in Syria between Iran, Russia, and the U.S. Uh, has involved 
multiple entities that otherwise would have been at war with one another. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels. A story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry though, he's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here... We have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. And currently, as we record this, there are negotiations for truces in uh, the Syrian conflict. However, it may be, uh, it may be that ISIS, while thriving in this chaos, will meet an end or a dissolution or a fragmenting, uh, either due to unsustainable internal situations or due to the great powers banding together to crush it. Because for a time, if you look at the strategy, there were opportunistic things. There were, um, 
there were governments who were using their forces to attack ISIS on one side and yeah. drive it towards something else where they wanted a region to stabilize. It seems like the fragmentation is likely uh, to occur. The, the only difference I see with this group is their prowess to use online sources. Yeah, I was to, about to say. To stay connected no matter where they are located globally. I mean, and not only are they using the online sources like Facebook, et cetera, to recruit, they're also using it to disseminate, you know, their messages. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, like uh, I saw a video the other day that had, um, it was after the terror attacks in uh, Brussels and it had a lot of, uh, had footage of all of the, uh, the explosions that there was footage available of and it had uh, Donald Trump quotes talking about how Brussels used to be a beautiful place and essentially implying that before all the Muslims came in and made it, you know, terrible or whatever. And so they're basically using stuff from the news, from current events and then disseminating it through you know, electronic channels. And I mean, if you think about, you know, the compared to the way Al Qaeda would do things like that, I mean, they would like distribute like a a blurry VHS tape of, you know, of Osama bin Laden talking. If it was him. If if it was him at all and just send it to like news outlets. So, I mean, this is definitely a next generation. Oh um, yeah, sure. The changing technology, they're certainly making use of it. That's a good point. Here's where it gets crazy. Today we are talking about the uh, something that is not a conspiracy theory. It is a conspiracy fact that uh, ISIS is recruiting in the U.S. or attempting to recruit in the U.S. And not just, of course, in the U.S., but also in Europe. We have mm-hmm. read stories of uh, read stories of European, often teenagers, late teens, uh, being recruited. Sometimes, honestly, but often deceptively to travel to uh, Syria to join ISIS. And depending on a number of things, your nationality, your age, frighteningly enough, your gender. And your, I, I don't know how to say this, your, it's not your social status. It's socioeconomic background. No, it's not that either. It is just your, um, it's a, there's a sense of loneliness that is preyed upon by this group. A sense of isolation, mm-hmm. I see. Well, let's, let's talk about some of the specific cases of ISIS recruitment in the U.S. So we're going to grab some numbers from 2015 uh, that were put out by the New York Times. And so as of October of 2015, right as we get in the end of that year, uh, law enforcement inside the United States knew of 250 Americans who had either gone to or were thinking about going to Syria and or Iraq uh, to join up with these ISIS fighters, right? Mm-hmm. And right now there are, I think, or at least as of that time, October 2015, there were 900 active investigations uh, into ISIS sympathizers from all of the 50 United States. Mm-hmm. So prosecutors have actually charged 71 people since March of 2014 um, with various degrees of involvement in ISIS activities in the U.S. Um, the, some of these charges include um, attempting to support terrorist organizations, plotting deadly attacks on U.S. soil, um, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. 56 of these arrests actually took place in uh, 2015. Um, and here are some stats that came from the George Washington University Program on Extremism, analyzing 71 of these arrests. So people involved in the arrests, uh, on average, were age 26, 86% male, 50% uh, traveled or had attempted to travel to Iraq or Syria at some point. 27% were involved in plots to actually carry out these kinds of attacks in the U.S., 58% American citizens, 40% converts to Islam, and um, 21 states um, were involved in these arrests, and the largest number took place in New York and Minnesota. And finally, it involved three Americans who actually died in the U.S. due to ISIS-related violence. And and something to point out here, all of these people that are mentioned, they come from various different backgrounds, from socioeconomic statuses. They, It's very wide and varied, the people who end up being recruited or are attempted to be accru- uh, recruited. And this is where we arrive at the primary 
the primary medium or mode of recruitment, which would be, uh, again, as we said, social media, Twitter, Instagram, those are cited. Uh, there's, there are several specific cases, but let's, let's look into one. Let's look in the story of a 23 year old American woman named Alex. And this story comes to us from the New York Times. There's a great article you can read if you want to. There's even a short video piece you can uh, watch about this. Uh, Alex is a, uh, as you said, Ben, a young woman. She describes herself as lonely. She was a babysitter and a Sunday school teacher. Didn't do much. She's in a very rural part of Washington State. And her day-to-day life is pretty boring, right? At least this is how she describes it. And she doesn't have many friends. She's living with her grandparents. Now, after the the video of James Foley, uh, he was a, a journalist. This was in August on August nineteenth, twenty fourteen. Uh, he was. It was a video of him being beheaded by ISIS. Uh, Alex, our protagonist here, she she went on Twitter. She she wanted to find out why the heck a group would do something so horrendous and terrible. And she says, quote, I was looking for people who agreed with what they were doing so that I could understand why they were doing it. It was actually really easy to find them, unquote. Kind of chilling. Mm-hmm. And that's where she met a man from England calling himself Faisal Mustafa, who began telling her about Islam and the Islamic State. As she began speaking with him and others, uh, other sympathizers over the Internet, Twitter, email, Skype, uh, she was persuaded. She took a vow on Twitter. She converted to Islam. And now here's where it gets crazy in the context of this story where Alex probably, I don't know, her uh, feeling should have gone off, I guess. Should have put up some red flags, maybe. There. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I'm just going to read another quote from the article. Quote, the only Muslims she knew were those she had met online, and Faisal encouraged her to keep it that way, arguing that Muslims are persecuted in the U.S. Which is to a degree true. A- absolutely. But, uh, oh yeah, and she could be labeled a terrorist, That he warned her of that. And for now, it was best for her to keep this whole conversation, or all of these conversations that she's having, a secret, even from her grandparents, who she's living with. Well, I mean, they're attempting to... They're radicalizing her. I mean, they want, they don't, they don't want her to be exposed. Sure. She's a really good get at this point. I mean, she's someone that's isolated and is, I assume, white, right? Uh, yes. And well, she's impressionable. Impressionable, but also I just mean in terms of like, they don't want her to all of a sudden change her behavior and start hanging out with a different group of people and raise any alarms with any kind of law enforcement because they want to be able to use her in some way. Mm Mm-hmm. And here's where it kind of gets into the tactics of, of this group. The, the circle of people that Alex is speaking with, they are, there are several dozen accounts operated by several people who either directly like say that they are members of the Islamic State or who are at least in some way, uh, sympathizers with the group. Uh, they, these people collectively spent thousands you hear that thousands of hours engaging Alex for over six months where they're just constantly in communication. Cults do the same thing at the beginning. It's called a love bomb. Yes. Oh, we can get into the cult aspect, Ben. Uh, but yeah, they, they, they sent her things through the mail. This Faisal guy is in England, remember? So it's not that difficult to send something. I mean, it takes a while, but they were sending her prayer shawls and I believe, um, mats. And chocolate. Apparently, mm-hmm. one of the biggest things they sent her was chocolate, just tons and tons of chocolate. And as they're doing all of this, they're they're indulging her curiosity. They're calming her down when she's having, you know, when she's thinking maybe this isn't a good idea. They're just being her friend, right? They're they're being this lonely, isolated girl's friend. And especially as they are starting to push her towards some of the some of the, let's say, more difficult to grasp I, concepts behind ISIS, some of the more violent parts of it. And something that would you couldn't really just flip a switch and just be like, oh, I'm okay with this now. Kind of have to like really, yes. really ease someone into it. And then before you know it, as Ben was saying, with some of the cult indoctrination mm-hmm. kind of um, uh, tactics, before you know it, you're doing things you never, ever, ever would have been considered doing. It's the foot in the door tactic used by sales folks as well, mm-hmm. right? There's so much support 
generate a positive psychological association with a certain idea, concept, or experiment. One thing that all human beings have in common is that we are frighteningly easy to mislead. Uh, so this this story, do we have the ending? Well, the ending is that her grandmother found out several times throughout the course of their communications that she was doing this. And I feel like I have to say this. Uh, it, it's mentioned in the article and in the video. Uh, Alex suffers from fetal alcohol syndrome. And uh, she is very much, from a developmental perspective, younger than 23. Um, and perhaps that is one of the reasons that she seems to be more impressionable. And the grandmother in particular is tr- tries to guard her from interactions online. And this one in particular, it was scaring her because she didn't really understand the scope or the depth of what was happening. Mm-hmm. But in the documentary, or at least the, the short piece on the New York Times, they show the grandmother actually speaking with Faisal and telling them, leave my granddaughter alone. Mm-hmm. And the last thing you see on the video is, oh, and they resumed communication following the publication of this. So who knows? What's happening with Alex? What's going on at the end of the story? I mean, at least she was willing to tell her story. Uh, when that's not her real name, by the way. And let's also, let's remember that this is just one example from one country. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up... <laughs> You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. She's breathing. Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels. A story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry though, he's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. 
I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. It is tempting to use broad brush strokes when describing why someone would uh, run off to join this group. There's, it's, uh, there is definitely a sense of isolation. There's also a sense of anger over the way that non-Muslim countries are treating mm-hmm. uh, p- people of the Islamic faith. And, you know, it is, it is, uh, naive at best to say that, uh, to say that Muslims are not being co- persecuted for their religion. Even, even in countries that claim to have, uh, such a, an emphasis on religious freedom. However, with that being said, with the idea that there are complex, complicated motivations for this and that there are active, uh, Conspiracies, because let's just remember the definition of a conspiracy is people working together in secret toward a common goal. Under that definition, then there are conspiracies to recruit people into this organization. They are happening now as you listen to this broadcast, depending on when you're listening to it. Uh, the, the other thing, and this is, this is a serious thing is very sensitive. Um, I earlier mentioned gender mattering. Don't want to be alarmist about this, but this is a fact for people who are, uh, women being, uh, you know, let's say late teens, early twenties who are being, um, misled and misled by, uh, recruiters working on behalf of ISIS. They're often convinced or persuaded to travel to uh, a part of Iraq or Syria that is under ISIS control with the idea that they will be performing humanitarian aid in the, mm-hmm. in the holy war, that they will be, uh, you know, helping to save the lives of these fighters. And at least three cases that we know of that are proven and, and many more. I'm just counting the ones I was checking into an off-air research, what they end up being compelled to do is to serve as, essentially as prostitutes under what is known as a jihadi marriage. And that is because the Islamic State has issued a fatwa, a religious decree, uh, saying that this is a righteous thing for women to do. Yeah, Wow. Uh, in Alex's case, she was told that she would be marrying a 40 year old balding man. That was all that, that was all the information that she got from Faisal. But he was a, uh, a good Muslim is what she said. Mm-hmm. And so this, this concept of, uh, let's see, the Islamic State, I think the report comes in 2015 said that, uh, Muslim women giving themselves sexually to jihadis, uh, is, permissible uh because it allows them to continue a jihad to empower islam and however however controversial and alarmist and strangest must sound i have to emphasize again this is not the belief of um this is not the belief of the vast majority of this group absolutely so, so the the error in critical thinking that people can make all too easily is to to equate one extremist faction with every other single practitioner of that faith. Uh, for instance, you know there are very uh, violent, very strange, prejudiced, and twisted uh, sects of uh, religious groups claiming that they are Christian, right, or claiming oh, yeah. or claiming that they adhere to. Um, 
some some obscure branch of Judaism or Hinduism or Buddhism, right? But we know that if you are a Christian, it does not automatically make you a member of the Westboro Baptist Church. <laughs> Hopefully. Which pales in comparison, of course, to ISIS. Absolutely. Uh, but the, what I'm pointing out here is that it is so easy for, uh, it's so easy, especially given the way things are reported, to believe that one, uh, one example or one group means an entire group is, is rotten. And this, this is not the case, but what is the case is that in Europe, in the U.S., in other, uh, Muslim majority countries, Around the clock, there are, there are people who are being convinced to join up with organization, with this organization, sometimes under, uh, false pretenses. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is a conspiracy fact. We know that the, uh, use of internet technology has made the cost of communication across the world lower now than at any other point in human history ever. You know, uh, I, where are you listening to this podcast from? Is it not amazing that you could tweet Matt, Noel, and I, or anybody that has a Twitter handle, and almost instantaneously we will be able to have a conversation regardless of where we are on the globe. This is a mighty power. And like all mighty powers, it can harm and it can help. You know, fire warms as well as burns. Wow. And legislation always catches up more slowly than the, uh, than the technology, right? Technology always mm-hmm. outpaces legislation. And earlier we mentioned that opportunistic governments are using things like this, which this is a real thing. Online recruitment into extremist religious organizations, not just ISIS, is a real thing and it's happening now, but is the answer, I want to, this is my question okay. for you guys and, and for you listeners, is the answer to give a government entity absolute access to everything you and everyone else does online? Who watches the watchman? You know what right. I mean? Will this, will this be, uh, protection? Will it be, uh, a way to prevent, uh, acts of terrorism? Or will we be simply giving another group of not entirely great people a superpower? Well, here's one of the things we've recently learned from the attacks in Brussels. The people who carried out the attacks allegedly were using burner phones, the phones that you can activate and then use the minutes up and then throw them away. And if that is the case, that they're using that technology, then giving the FBI or NSA or whoever else, mm-hmm. the keys to your iPhone or your Android or whatever it is so that they can see everything you're doing, it might not matter because they might not be able to see that phone that's activated and then destroyed immediately afterwards. Yeah, that's a technique technique has been used for you know a long time. Like I don't know if you've ever watched The Wire, but a lot of the uh the drug dealer you know characters depicted in that show use burner phones, the ones you can buy at a gas station and you use it for a period of time and you don't have any uh, personal information associated mm-hmm. with it. So right. absolutely. Well yeah, and you know, there are all kinds of arguments against allowing that to occur. I've heard everything from the potential global blackmail that could be generated from, from having that to, you know, just the, the basic right of privacy that all of us believe ourselves to have. But then also we have, we have a further issue here, which is that we have further issue, which is that in many countries, this, this should not be a secret. In many countries, the actions of corporations and the actions of states are closely intertwined. Mm-hmm. So we have to ask when we, the people, or when we, the population of whatever country, uh, give this kind of unfettered personal access with no accountability to a government, who else are we giving it to? Are we also giving it to uh, a large corporation that is active in there? Are we also, I assume, giving it to a um, a contractor who will carry out part of the monitoring duty? Five Eyes has been around for a long time, and I it is my personal belief that um, 
these strange bedfellows of of corporate uh and governmental power are are much closer than than are are reported you know oh yeah just just read julian assange's google is not what you think mm-hmm. uh, I, I guess it's an article or statement that he put out when he met with some of the heads of Google back in the day. It's fascinating to see the way Alphabet is moving. Who knows? Which is the parent company of Google now. Yes. So let's, let's also, I have just a few more questions, guys. I know I'm peppering everyone with questions, but I'm interested. Uh, in the following. Do you think that, do, do you think that U.S., Western, and Middle Eastern intelligence agencies purposefully created ISIS, or do you think it was a, a unintended consequence? I mean, it's one of those things where when you shut down uh, one group or make it difficult for one group to do something, you will have other groups pop up and fill the void. Hail Hydra. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's, that's what this is. No, I, I definitely don't think that the U.S. government was involved in creating it. I mean, I think the U.S. government's and policies. Right. I think the, U, the U.S. government's policies over a long period of time, um, have created groups like these, you know. Right. And I think one of the questions is, uh, of course, follow the money, but secondly, in whose who has the most compelling interest in a destabilized Middle East? You know what I mean? Like I that, think we know. That's one of the questions. Well, well, then who who would it be then? Because we've also heard that the actions of ISIS in Syria have been tacitly encouraged by the West as a way to stop Russia from uh, successfully retaining their one uh, their their one all weather. Port, right? Mm-hmm. Which is based in Syria and also to obtain access to build pipelines, right? Cutting off, uh, one of Russia's primary exports, which is, uh, natural gas to Western Europe. So. Yeah. It, it feels yeah. to me, just in an answer to your question, uh, the actions of this group feel very much. It feels like another proxy war. That's what, that's what it feels like to me in, mm-hmm. in reading the news and watching what I, what I'm watching. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm interested to hear more about this, you know, and it's not while it is tempting to say that there are unassailable good guys in the fight, right? Uh, the, the sad truth is that there are innocent Stein and that is one of the most, uh, crucial Factors of this, you know, yep. war is rarely a matter of a hero and a villain. War is often a lot of villains or at the very least, uh, a lot of self-interested people. And I'm not by any means, I'm not by any, by any means calling terrorist groups heroes. I think that's fundamentally offensive. It's all perspective. Maybe it is. Maybe, maybe you're right. I mean, let's also consider that a lot of the people who were uh, who, who were embroiled as children in conflicts in the Middle East, uh, had felt they had no other choice but to join some sort of resistance, right? And with this in mind, we'd like to hear your answers. What, what do you think of, uh, the possibility of intelligence network involvement or state sponsorship of ISIS? And I'm also interested, what do you think the future of ISIS is right now. It looks like the organization is not thriving and it looks like superpowers or states or other organizations that would normally be against one another may be banding together to combat ISIS. And, uh, yeah, yeah. but one, once it's quelled or fragmented, what comes next? What happens next? That's always the question with the Middle East, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that's always the question with geopolitics in general. Right. Uh, so write to us. Let us know. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter. We are Conspiracy Stuff. You can check out every podcast that Noel, Matt, and I have ever done on our website, StuffTheyDon'tWantYouToKnow.com. And before we go. Some of you have already written to us, and that's why we're going to go into this little space that we like to call. Shout out corners. First shout out of the day goes to Jaglu, Jaglu, or at Square Moon. 
Uh, she says, quote, your fake British accent is so bad that it's too good. You have to do the next shout out, shout out in a British accent. So Matt, you're not doing the next shout well, out. Well, because I don't know if she was talking to me or to you. Was I, it you, Ben? Was it you who butchered the British accent? Don't look at me that way. I think no. it was me. Pretty sure. Guys, I do sketch comedy. Of course, all my accents are based on what will work in sketch comedy. <laughs> I'm not trying to go to Heathrow and impersonate. Okay, because this is a listener-driven show, and it appears my uh, producers and co-hosts have put me in one hell of a corner. I didn't say anything. Uh, is it a shout-out corner? It's. I'm getting <laughs> shouted at. I will be after this. Uh, what kind of, guys, what kind of British accent do you want? Do you want more posh? Do you want more Michael Caine? Ooh, oh, like do your, do your Michael Caine. Do okay. Your, do your Michael Caine. But my Michael Caine is terrible. Can you do Michael Caine from the streets? Uh, I Can don't you do know. Cockney Michael Caine? <laughs> <laughs> you know what, guys? I'm just gonna do a, just, just a do generic, terrible British accent. Okay. Apologies to everyone. Here, here. As well as the, uh, royal family. But you're welcome, Jagloo. God save the queen. Oh, gosh, yeah. I don't know. Do you think this will mean the Queen stops listening to our show? It might mean she'll die of shock. <clears throat> okay, our second shout-out goes to Kelsey Griffin. Uh, Geeky Kelsey, shout-out to At Conspiracy Stuff for getting me through, like, 18 hours of driving this week. And have you done... Oh, I'm going cockney. Yeah. <laughs> have you done one on cryptids yet? So, yeah, have we done one on cryptids? That was great, Ben. That's embarrassing. That was sort of like a, a Kiwi British hybrid. I'm having I'm it. having trouble because I've been working on my Kiwi accent. It's, my a, it's, it's, it's a sticky sticky wicket. Sticky wicket. <laughs> sticky wicket. Watch out for beats. That's watch out for bats. Oh. <laughs> That's how we bad. We offended everyone. Yay. No, no, not yet. All if right. if anything, um someone with a decent British accent write in and tell tell me how to do it. And you know, technically, if you consider it from an historical standpoint, then guys, no, Matt, we're the ones with the accent. That's right. Because English came from England. So really, we're just, I'm just trying to get over my, my terrible American okay. accent. We are the music makers and we are the dreamers of dreams. So next we have one from Sean at Dr. Hypnotoad. Wah, 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 Is that wah, one wah, of those toads wah, that when you lick it, it makes you that's a Futurama reference. Oh, okay. okay. Have you, are you serious? No. He's like the best character in Futurama. He's the third best character in Futurama. It goes uh, Dr. Zoidberg, Bender, and then the Hypnotoad. Sean says that he was the one who wrote in and asked us to do an episode on big pharma conspiracies, which we did. Yeah, thank you so much for writing in, Sean. Uh, and, I, I, you know, I appreciate that because I remember we were looking for, we were asking ourselves, who wrote in and, and recommended that excellent topic for us. Mm-hmm. So now the truth is revealed. And this concludes this installment of Shout Out Corner. And if you want to be like Sean and all of the other wonderful human beings that wrote in to us to give us an idea for a topic, we're getting emails all the time. Thank you so much for writing in. Uh, if we haven't responded yet, hopefully we will get to that very, very soon. Take us to task. Call us a bunch of jerks, you know? No. We're gluttons for that stuff. Just just dish it. Oh. I'm kidding. And you can nice. send those emails to jonathan.strickland at howstuffworks.com. Or if you want to send us nice things, yes, you can send those to conspiracy at howstuffworks.com. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jon Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late-night legend Jon Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.